0: Imagine for just a moment that the world has come to an end, the Lord has returned, and Judgment Day is upon us. Of course, I don't really have any idea what Judgment Day is going to look like. But let's imagine that we're standing in a long line as each person goes before God to be judged. And as you're standing in that line with each person that enters the judgment room, you can hear God's booming voice either depart, worker of iniquity, or enter in to the rest of your Lord, good and faithful servant. The line moves slowly, and so we have lots of time to think. In that moment, what will be important to us? Last week we read from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, the story of Mary and Martha. And from that, we learned that only one thing is necessary. And from Philippians, we learned that that one thing is knowing Jesus. As we're standing there before God in judgment, we're not going to be concerned about our GPA or our class standing. We're not going to be concerned about what kind of job we had. We're not going to be concerned about what kind of car we drove, what house we lived in, or what kind of clothes we wore. We're going to be concerned about whether or not we knew Jesus. But as we stand in that line, we look ahead and we see somebody that looks just a little bit familiar from from behind and we're trying to figure out where we know them from, and then as they're about to enter the room of judgment, they turn around and get one last look at the long line behind them, and you realize it's one of your kids. What will you be thinking in that moment? Because you see, we need to recognize that not only is there one thing necessary for us, There's only one thing necessary for our children. And I'd like for us to think about that for a few moments this morning. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we're thankful for your love and your mercy. We're thankful that you sent your Son to die for us. We're thankful that He endured the suffering on the cross, as Rusty talked about just moments ago. We're thankful that He endured the isolation and separation from You on our behalf. We're thankful that He sacrificed Himself so that we could avoid eternal death. Father, we pray that Your hand of mercy and guidance and benevolence will be with us. That we might seek the one necessary thing of knowing Your Son. And Father, we especially pray for the parents and grandparents here as we strive to help generations beyond us focus on that one thing. Strengthen us all to have a passion for knowing You and Your Son and Your Spirit so that we might proclaim You to the world around us and draw people into Your family. Forgive us for having fallen from that in so many ways and at so many times. Please guide us out of the snares and traps of the tempter and help us walk in Your paths of righteousness. Father, we love You and we thank You for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. We need to consider the problem. And as we do that, let's first go back and check out our background story that we learned about last week. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, Now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching." be taken away from her. We turn to Philippians chapter 3 to learn what that one thing was. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, the Scripture there says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul said, I've given up everything else, but there's one thing I still hang on to, and that's knowing Jesus, so that I might gain Christ. And we learn from the context that it's through that that we enter Christ and that we know the power of His resurrection. We share in His sufferings and we enjoy participation in His resurrection. There's another passage, which we didn't look at last week, that helps us understand why this is so important. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible there says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How has He granted us that? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He says it's through the knowledge of God that we have, or through the knowledge of Jesus, I should say, that we have Everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's through knowledge of Jesus, through knowing Jesus, that we obtain exceeding great and precious promises. It's through knowledge of Jesus that we escape the corruption of the world and participate in the divine nature. Do you see how important then knowing Jesus is? No wonder Jesus said there's but one thing that's necessary and that won't be taken away from us. But let's go back to our initial story today. Judgment Day is upon us. Our children are going before the Lord. What are we going to be thinking? will we be thinking? You know, Junior was the star pitcher for his Little League baseball team that won the Little League World Series. And I know that as we pursued that goal, we had to miss assemblies repeatedly for tournaments and games and practices. But surely Jesus understands the importance of a team commitment. Will we be thinking to ourselves that little Sally was the star of her high school plays and musicals and in college? She's going to be going on Broadway. And I know that we let her miss Wednesday night classes for, for for rehearsals and sometimes the assemblies on Sundays. But surely Jesus understands how important it is to follow a dream. Are we going to think to ourselves, Junior was class valedictorian, had perfect attendance at school, perfect 4.0 GPA GPA, all the way through high school and college. Of course, I, I realize that we we rarely, rarely studied the Bible with him and rarely prayed together with him, except for at meal times. And and uh, I, I know we didn't have him study much, but surely Jesus understands how important it is to get a good education so they can get a good job and make good money and take care of his family. Or we'll be thinking, you know, little Sally was the first female president of the United States. And I know we we didn't take the time to teach her how to serve her brethren, or visit the sick and the shut in, or or make meals for those who are grieving, or sacrifice herself in order to serve others. But surely Jesus understands that in our day and age that a woman's got to you've got to focus on her goals and her career, she's gonna be left in the cold. Are those the kind of things we're going to be thinking? Our world is ready made for Satan to distract our kids from the one necessary thing. And sometimes Satan's most powerful ally is us. Parents and grandparents alike. Because we take a look around and we want to provide for our kids and grandkids everything the world has to offer. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, as Jesus explained the parable of the sower. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, it talked about the seed that had fallen among the thorns. And it said, As for what fell among the thorns, this is Luke 8 14, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, of this world. and when we are intent on providing for our children all the best that this world has to offer we can fall prey to training them to be distracted by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world 1 John chapter 2 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 John says You see, we can provide for our kids the best the world has to offer, but do you know what the best the world has to offer for our kids? You know what it is? Eternity in hell. Because the things of the world are passing away. And only those who do the will of God in heaven will abide forever. Forever. What kind of things distract us? What kind of things cause distraction in our parenting of our children? Our work? Perhaps it's their work. School? Education? Friends? Sometimes family. Television? Movies? Computer and internet? Video games? iPods? How many things distract our children? And don't misunderstand, we've already learned, when we take a look at Martha in the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, her role as hostess was an important role. And there was a place for her to be serving because she was the hostess. Hospitality is in fact a command given by God. The problem was that wasn't what she should have been doing right then. So I'm not suggesting that anything that I just listed is wrong in and of itself. In fact, each and every one of those things may have their place. The problem is when, like Martha, we become distracted and train our children to be distracted from the one necessary thing. In 2 Peter chapter 3, This time in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning at verse 10. The Bible there says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Wait excuse me, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. This world and all the works in it are going to be burned up. Your child's diploma is going to burn up. Their baseball, softball, and volleyball trophies they are going to be melted down and destroyed. The cars that they drive destroyed. The houses in which you allow them to live burned up, crumbled, destroyed. The jobs that they have will no longer exist. The alma mater that you made sure they could get into will be destroyed, and Jesus will not call their professors for references. What will remain? Peter said, what lives ought we to live in holiness and godliness? That's what will remain. Are we developing our children to live with that? Holiness and godliness. First and foremost, above all things. Now brethren, I understand. And I recognize that there are exceptions to nearly every rule. And that children can be raised right and they can go wrong. That can happen. I know it can. But I also know Proverbs chapter twenty two and verse six. Proverbs chapter twenty two and verse six says, train up a child <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. Proverbs chapter twenty two and verse six says, Train up a child in the way he should go even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And no matter how we interpret this, no matter how we translate it, it comes across that there is a general rule that when we train our children to know Jesus, when they are old, they will not depart from it. I know that there will be exceptions to this rule. Brother, brethren, I tell you what, I am hearing stories, anecdotal evidence from folks who are tracking these kind of things, that anywhere from 50 to 80% of our children are falling away when they leave home. And if the great majority of us are the exception, then there's not much of a rule, is there? The rule is, when we train up our children, they'll stick with it. And so, and this is always a difficult part of these kind of lessons because I realize I'm, while I'm intending to talk to folks who have children at home, I'm also talking to folks whose children have left and some have fallen away. And I recognize very much that you may have done everything right, and they may have still gone wrong. And if so, there's no need for you to feel guilty, but merely to pray. But on the other hand, I realize that there are some of us as parents whose kids have left and fallen away and we ought to feel guilty. And I don't want to remove that from you if you should feel it. But I want you to realize that not focusing your children on Jesus is a sin like every other sin for which Jesus died. And you can ask God for forgiveness and He will forgive you and you can move on from there. Ask your kids to forgive you, And let them know, I didn't do this right and I'm sorry. I want to try to make it up by helping you know Jesus now. But the general rule is, If we train up our children to know Jesus, they'll stick with it. So how do we do that? How do we introduce our children to Jesus? Very first thing I want to share with you. It takes more than coming to church. I don't know how many people that I've talked to about their kids and they'll say... I just don't know what happened with them. You know, I brought them to church. I brought them to church all the time. I'm just going to share with you. If that's all you can say as you're trying to struggle and wonder what went wrong with your kids, that may be your answer. If all you can say is, I brought them to church, it's probably the answer for where things went wrong because it takes much more than bringing them to church. It takes much more than bringing them to church, even regularly. Even every time the doors are open, it takes much more than that. Because, you see, when all I can say is that I brought them to church, I didn't introduce them to Christ. I introduced them to the local church. This point was illustrated to me a couple of years ago in one of our men's meetings that we were having on Tuesday nights. A couple years ago, Donna Dare asked as we were about to close, he said, when is it wrong to attend all the assemblies and classes of the local church? And the answer was, when that's all you're doing. It takes more than that. I'd like to share with you some things that it takes. The very first thing is you have to have a passion for knowing Jesus yourself. You have to want to know Jesus. John Maxwell says, you teach what you know, you reproduce what you are. I think that's a powerful statement. You teach what you know, you reproduce what you are. Now, we can try to teach our kids all day long to know Jesus, but if they see in us that we don't want to know Jesus, they're not going to want to know Him either. We turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 a lot when we talk about raising kids. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 7, it reads that you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And we turn to that and talk about how important it is for us to teach our kids and how we need to be teaching them constantly and all the time. But let's not forget the verses upon which these statements are based. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You see, it's going to do us no good to teach our kids when they walk in the way and when they sit in our house, when they rise up and when they lie down, if they can't see that we love God with all our heart, our soul, and our might it's not going to do any good if the words of the Lord are not in our hearts. That's where it's got to begin. So let me ask you, if we were to ask your kids, if you were to ask your kids, what is mommy and daddy's number one passion in life? What would they answer? The Titans? Hunting? Fishing? Sewing? Shopping? Television? 24? Sports? School? Education? Or would it be knowing Jesus? What do they see in us? Do they see us excited to gather with the saints? Or do they see us trying to figure out reasons why we don't have to be there? Or do they see us saying, "Well, I have to go"? Do they see us studying our Bibles? Do they see us reading our Bibles? Do they see us praying? Do they see us relying on God through prayer? Do they see us turning to His Word to provide answers for the questions in our lives? Have our children ever once seen us excited about something we learned from the Scripture? Do our children know that we're excited to get together with God's other children? Where do they see us spending our money? How do they see us spending our time? tell you what, we have kids that may not be able to verbalize what our passion is, but we can be sure they are internalizing what our passion is. And let me point this out to you. The rest of this list are kind of practical, hands-on things. They're things that, that any one of them, you might say, well, I don't want to do that one, or I don't like that one, or I want to do it a little bit differently, but this one is the key. This is it. If you get this one right, everything else will take care of itself. If you get this one right, the teaching, the studying, the praying, all those other things will take place in one form or another. But our children have to see that we are passionate about knowing Jesus. That we're not just going through the motions. That we're not just checking off the list. That we're not just doing this to look good among our brethren. But we want to know Jesus. And if they see that, they'll want to know Jesus too. Teach your kids the Scripture. First Timothy, chapter 1. Excuse me, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter 1. Beginning at verse 5, Paul said about Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. There was a legacy, legacy of faith. I'll get it down here in a second. There was a legacy of faith. It began with Lois and was passed on to her daughter Eunice and was passed on to her son Timothy. And we learn in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 an integral part of that legacy of faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul said to Timothy, "...but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." An integral part of passing on the legacy of faith is teaching our kids the Scripture. We've got to have time with them in the Word. Now, a lot of us say, you know, I just don't know a whole lot. I'm not a scholar... Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know some people, they know a lot and they've studied a lot and I, I really haven't done well and, and uh, I need to learn a lot. Well, You know, the reality is you can pass on the Scriptures to your kids without being a Bible scholar. How about just have a regular time where you just sit down and read the Bible and just discuss it? Learn together as students of the Word. You don't have to come across to them as, I am the expert, learn from me. You need to come across as the person that, hey, I have a passion for knowing Jesus through His Word. Let's get together and read And they see your excitement to learn from it, they'll want to learn from it too. Maybe you know some particular passages that you want to talk to them about. Go through those with them. But do something. You might try and approach that my friend David Banning suggests. He calls it the search and discover method. And that is, you you just... Open up the text and you come to the chapter that you want to to study and you tell your kids, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together tonight we're going to study this. But between now and then, you need to read the chapter and I want you to find all the places where such and such happens. And we're going to talk about that. Or you might just get together and read it together and say, all right, get your highlighters out and I want you to highlight the part where this happened. And now they're listening and searching. And then talk about that. For instance, you might want to talk to your kids about how they treat their siblings. You can go to Genesis chapter 4. And say, all right, we're going to read about Cain and Abel, and I want you to circle and highlight, and we're going to talk about all the places where Cain mistreated Abel and what God did about it. And then you can talk about it. You see, it's not that hard, but do something. As they grow, you're probably going to want to teach them how to use concordances and commentaries and dictionaries. As they grow, you might even want to hand over to them. We want you to leave the discussion from the Bible tonight. But whatever the case is, we need to teach our kids the Scripture. And let me point this out. Remember our most important point. Have a passion for knowing Jesus yourself? You've got to want to study the Bible yourself. And you can go through the motions. You might even have an everyday Bible reading from now until your kids leave home. But if every day they get the idea that, well, we're just checking this off the list, guess what they're going to do when they leave home? They're going to check it off their list. Now, I know that a lot of us aren't really going to like this one. But I think this is important. Have your kids memorize Scripture. Y'all know the text, right? Where am I going? Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Get that Word in the heart. Get it internalized. Now, some of that's going to happen through the study because they're going to learn the stories and they're going to know the stories by which they can live the rest of their lives. As you study and go through books in the Bible, they're going to learn what, which chapters talk about what and as you're probably going to be outlining things and, and, and writing down what those chapters are about. They'll get that in their mind. But we also need to take the time to just memorize Scripture. Just get that, get that Scripture right in here so that we can know it. This is not about racing. This is not about just having some goal. This is about just making us better people every day. And so it's not about we've got to make sure that you know so many verses by the time you're 18. It's just about that we're going to be hiding God's Word in your heart. And so you might go through and find specific passages you think your kids need to know and have them memorize. And I knew one fella that came up with the ABCs of Scripture. And he, he found 26 Scriptures, each beginning with a successive letter in the alphabet that he felt was important, and he had his kids learn those. You might want them to just consistently memorize and just keep memorizing. Whatever you do, get your kids to memorize Scripture. I'll tell you something you can do. I'll just give you a little practical hands-on here, a way that it can work. Get you your little 3x5 card and write the Scripture you want them to memorize. Have them go over it until they can say it without looking at it, and then on that day have them repeat it 25 times. The next day have them repeat it 20 times. The next day have them repeat it 15. The next day 10, the next day 5, and then for the week to follow. Do it once per day, and then once per week for the next two months. And then after that, have them review it monthly. And guess what? It'll be in there. Oh man, that takes a lot of time. Well, it does. But it's worth it. When the Word is hidden in our hearts. And hidden in our kids' hearts so that they won't sin against God. But I'll point this out. If you're going to do this as a kid, you have to memorize Scripture. I'm too old for that. I'm an adult now. It won't work You might as well not do that one. If you don't have a, pa- a passion for memorizing God's word and knowing it in your heart, your kids won't ever have that passion either. But if it's something that you work on together, you'll be amazed. Be absolutely amazed at what they'll do. Teach your children to pray in Luke chapter 11 and verse one. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Jesus' disciples came and said Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. If they had to be taught to pray, don't you think we and our children have to be taught to pray? We need to be teaching our kids to pray. The number one way you can teach your kids to pray is pray with your kids. It's the number one way. And more than just praying for the meals. Sadly, typically the most training that our kids get for prayer is, hey, we're about to eat, say the prayer. God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Really pray with your kids. Let your kids hear you praising God for how amazing He is. Let your kids hear you thanking God for all the things that He said. Let them hear you thanking Him for the house you live in, for the food you ate, for the air you breathe, for the clothes you wear, for the washing machine, and the dryer, and the refrigerator, and the microwave, and the oven, and all these things. Let them hear you thanking Him for your brethren, for His church, for His Son who died for them, for the Word. Let them hear you thanking God for those things. Let them hear you confessing your sins. Yes, you heard me right. Let them hear you confessing your sins. Now, yes, I understand there might be some sins, but it's not prudent that you share with your children that you've committed, at least not when they're young. I understand that. But let them hear the fact that mom and dad sin, and that's why Jesus died. That's why I need Jesus too. Let them hear you petitioning God, relying on God in prayer. Let them hear you interceding for other people. And then let them pray. and watch them grow in prayer as they learn from you. As they get older, you might sometimes after the prayer give them some helpful suggestions. You, it might cause a time for being able to study with them and say, "Well, you know, you prayed for this, but let me show you what the Bible says and so that you can think about this maybe a little differently. Let me share with you something. I, I know we're running on time here, guys, but I hope that this is helpful to you. Let me give you some practical hands-on here. Something that I learned just three weeks ago, David Banning in a lesson that I listened to on CD shared this practical way to help your kids pray and it's phenomenal and so I have to share it with you. Well, we just started doing this two weeks ago and I'm just telling you, it's amazing. My kids love it. We love it. It's called Praying Through the Bible. It's very similar if you're using the, uh, our spiritual heritage, if your kids are in our classes and you're doing the prayer that they have at the end of it. Uh, it's very similar to that. But here's what you do. Praying Through the Bible. Get out a sheet of paper. And write, dear God, you are. And then leave some space there to fill in the blank. Then write, dear God, thank you. Or excuse me, dear God, you. Leave some space for them, for, to write in there. Then write, dear God, thank you for. And leave a space. Then, dear God, help. And then I've added in one more, dear God, forgive me for. And then turn to the Bible and find a chapter or passage that you want to read. Have your kids who can write, have that sheet of paper before them and say, alright, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this to you. We're going to read it together. Make the reading exciting. And I want you to listen to things that will fill in those blanks and write them down as we go along. For instance, we read Genesis 1. Dear God, you are the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. Dear God, you... Created the world in six days and saw that it was good. Dear God, thank you for creating the animals. One of of my kids, thank you for creating animals that we can have for pets. I think that may have been kind of a hint. Dear God, help. My favorite of my kids was, was, help us, oh wait a minute, no, this was forgive me for. Dear God, forgive me for treating your creation badly and like dirt. Dear God, help Help me treat your creation with respect. Those are things that my kids said when we went through this. And I'll tell you what, the first time we did it, my cousin's kids there, you can imagine that it took some time doing that with six children, ranged from ten to four. But when we got done, you know what each and every one of them said? Can we do this again tomorrow? I mean, you, you may not like the idea, but I'll tell you what, it's awesome. Awesome. Kids love it. And in two weeks, I think my kids prayer lines It's it's impacted everything. At at the end of that list, we talk about what the passage said. And I also point out to them, now we're going to say a prayer and you can pray for anything you want, but let's make sure to pray for some of these things. Pray some of these things that we just learned from the text. And they do it. And maybe if you have kids that can't write yet, it it doesn't work too well for you, but I know that having the kids that do write with Ryan, he listens. And I love hearing him pray now almost every time. Dear God, you are more powerful than us. You are wise and we are not. And he got that from the other kids as we talked about it. But remember the second point up here, have a passion for knowing Jesus yourself. If they see you doing that as just, well, it's time to do our prayer through the Bible thing. If they see that, that you don't like to pray, they're not going to stick with it. In fact, Luke 11 and verse 1, interestingly, Jesus didn't just say, hey, we're going to have our seminar in prayer this week the disciples saw His passion for prayer and wanted to know more about it. We want our kids to know more about prayer. They need to see our passion for prayer. Spend time with other Christians. You know Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47 points out that they spend time in the temple daily assembling with one another and from house to house. Spend time with Christians. I'll tell you what. It's amazing to me the number of adults, the number of adults who don't like having people in their homes and don't like going over to other people's homes, and then their kids get in their teenage years and they wonder why they don't ever want to do anything with the friends at church, just the kids at school. We teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. We need to be spending time with Christians and we need to be teaching our children to spend time with Christians at the assemblies and outside of the assemblies, doing spiritual things and secular things, praising God, and taking our meals together with gladness. And when somebody's having a study at their house, don't bring your kids over and send them off to the playroom. Let them sit down with you and learn by listening to the adults. Unless, of course, it's a study that's specifically for adults only. You're having a singing, don't send the kids off to the playroom. Let them sing with you. Let them spend time with other Christians. And finally, prioritize these things. prioritize these things. We send our kids to school thirty to forty hours a week. And except for emergencies, we won't let anything get in the way. We don't say maybe, we don't say I'll try. We don't say we'll think about it. It's gonna happen. They're gonna go to school. We sign our kids up for sports teams and we will move heaven and earth to make sure they get to every practice and every game. What do you think our kids learn from that? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with either of those things, but we've got to make sure that this is prioritized even more important than those. We've got to let our children know that knowing Jesus is something so important that we don't let other things get in the way and when those other things when those other things get in the way of the events that help us know Jesus we know which one's going to come first We want them to be committed to teams but before that we want them to be committed to Jesus now I'll tell you what I will admit that I don't know with 100% certainty that if you allow your child to miss a Wednesday night class because of a rehearsal or a practice or a game, I don't know with 100% certainty that they've sinned and that they're going to go to hell for that. But I do know with 100% certainty that you just taught them that there's something more important than Jesus. I do know that. They've got to know that there's one thing that's necessary. One thing. In Luke 10, in verse 42, Jesus said, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good fortune which will not be taken away from her. All those other things are going to be taken away from our kids. Their trophies, their diplomas, their, uh, their, you know, their best actress award for being in the play, those are the things are all going to be taken away. But the stuff that we do together, the stuff that we do with the Word of God, the stuff that we do to serve Him, that doesn't get taken away. And we need to train our children to develop them to choose the one good portion. And it's not that we can't be involved in those, those other things, but we just can't let those things distract us from the one thing that we'll carry with us from this life into the next. We've got to know what's most important. Look in Luke 16. And here's the thing that we've got to grasp and I'm not telling you to be like me and grasp this. I'm telling you that I'm struggling to grasp this as well, but we've got to grasp it. Here's the deal, brethren. If our children never learn to hit a baseball, throw a football, or shoot hoops, but they know Jesus, their eternal destiny will be alright. If our children never learn to parse a verb, recite the multiplication tables, or speak Spanish, but they know Jesus, their eternal destiny will be All right. If our children grow up and can only get the most menial of jobs and they're scraping by for the rest of their lives, sometimes even having to beg bread, but they know Jesus, then everything is going to be all right. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, being in torment, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. And you know the rest of the story. The rich man couldn't get over that and couldn't be comforted. Let me ask you a question. Which of those two people would you prefer your kids to be? Brethren, I know it would be hard to watch them being Lazarus in this life. And I'm certainly not saying that in order to go to heaven they have to be Lazarus. But if focusing on the one necessary thing, if that's where it leads them, won't seeing them in Abraham's bosom in eternity make it worth it? Edwin, I'd like to do these things, but it just takes so much time. Yes, I know. I know it does. Like this morning, it cuts into our lunchtime. But you see, that's really the point of this passage. Pursuing the one necessary thing almost always means I have to cut out some of the unnecessary things. And I'm going to have to do that with my kids. They just may not get to enjoy everything that Junior Next Door is getting to be involved in because I want my kids to know Jesus. Prioritize them. Let them see your passion, please. Of course, to do that, you have to have the Passion. Only one thing is necessary for us and only one thing is necessary for our children. How are we doing pursuing that?